0: Hey guys, before this episode starts, I want to talk about some pretty cool news. Okie Investigations now has its own website. It's truecrime.blog, and it is a running blog for crime stories and for this show. So if you're a true crime buff and you want to see some cool things that we gathered while researching each show, including a like timeline of events that we put together... Uh, newspaper clippings, court documents, and much, much more. Come check us out at truecrime.blog. One, two, three. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Oki Investigations. My name is Trevor Shelby. In this episode, we're going to take a wild ride in the Oki time machine once again because it's way back Wednesday, and that's what we do around here. Today, we're going about 90 years in the past in November. Of 1929, where the town of Utica is experiencing some odd deaths in a short amount of time. The small town gossip has whispers of murder in this little town. In this episode, we will discuss what happened, why, and what happened since. But first, if you're a first time listener, to experience this podcast to its finest, hit that subscribe button so when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. Then head on over to our Facebook page. Here we'll discuss all the things about this case together. Perhaps we'll come up with our own theories, and some of those might be featured on this show. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash Oki Investigations. I hope you're all having a fantastic week, despite the strange times that we've been living in. Uh, This week for me has been pretty interesting. Uh, A few weeks ago I got some baby chickens. And since then, they've grown into little uh, chicken adults. And uh, it's been a lot of fun watching them run across the property, chasing bugs, everything like that. Uh, we got them because our older chicken, Henny Penny, she, uh, she seemed kind of lonely. Now that they're all together, she wants nothing to do with them. No. Nothing at all. That's how it goes sometimes. But anyways, I, uh, I was thinking about it. And how about uh some of my true crime fans how about uh i need some names for these baby chicks i got four of them and my wife is naming two and i've been tasked to name two of them as well so i need two really good names and let's let's keep it into the realm of true crime and let's see let's see what we can come up with uh the, the winner names uh we, we can we can announce on a later episode that, that'll be fun also i want to say thank you to all of you that have left such wonderful reviews of the show it really really helps us out it's great to hear from everyone who enjoys the show and we really we really want you to know it keeps us motivated providing the best show that we can put together it's uh it means a lot to us it really does but let's get on with today's show like i said we're going back to november of 1929 this is Thanksgiving Eve. Love can make a person do crazy things. I think that's a song somewhere. But it's true. Love can make a life the most amazing thing in the world. And it can also destroy the lives of yourself and the loved ones around you. I don't know why people don't think about this before they act in the name of love but we're shown over and over again throughout history that many people do not think hard about their actions before they make them. It's very clear. This story starts on November 26, 1930. Will Hughes, a local farmer in Utica, Oklahoma, is walking to his horse barn. He would never walk out alive. A little while later, Miss Ella Hughes phoned for help. Her husband was dead police quickly responded to the Hughes property. Ella was in shambles. As she led them to the barn, Mr. Hugh was lying on the ground, his face beaten and almost unrecognizable. According to Miss Hughes, she believed that one of the horses kicked her husband in the face, but the police seemed to suspect that the damage to the face was not just from a mere kick. It was pretty extensive. They thought there was something more to all this. It didn't take police long to find an auto spring near the barn, covered in blood. When confronted with this, Ella Hughes began to tell a story that would soon be on the front page of every newspaper in the state of Oklahoma. For the past few months, Ella Hughes and her neighbor, Andrew Estep, have been falling in love. The only problem was that they were both married. So, according to Ella, Andrew began telling her that if they were rid of their spouses that they could be together and that he could do it in such a way that no one would ever be the wiser. Illa who was completely love struck believed him and so Andrew began to form a plan. The first thing he was gonna do was murder his own wife. To do this he ordered some poison in the disguise he was gonna kill some rodents. He then gave it to his wife when she was ill pretending it was medicine. She became very very ill And died shortly after this all went according to plan so well in fact that his wife was not only dead and buried but no one seemed to think he had anything to do with it he collected a life insurance policy on his wife within just a few weeks the next part of the plan was to happen a month later illa would wait to hear a knock upon the wall of the house and then lure her husband to the barn. When he got there, Andrew would kill Hughes and disguise his death as an accident. Every time I hear a murder like this happening, I can't help but wonder why on earth they didn't think of divorcing their spouses, why? Is it because they didn't believe in divorce? What sense does that make? I don't believe in divorce, but murder is okay in my book. Or does it have something to do with money? or how others will see them. It's like they never think, well, if I do this, I might be caught. So it's better to be poor and divorced than it is to be a broke murderer. I don't know. So according to Ella, she heard the rapping upon the wall and then got her husband up and told him she thought the horses had gotten out, but instead of being able to make it look like an accident, Andrew hit Will over the head over and over again with the car spring. It caused a gruesome injury that provided to be much harder to explain. Ella told the police that as soon as it happened, she knew. She had made a horrible mistake. The police r- arrested Ella Hughes and then went next door and arrested Andrew Estep. When at the station, Andrew was confronted with the story that Illa told him, and he became very quiet. He would not speak or acknowledge anyone that attempted to talk to him. Eventually, it became clear that Andrew was not going to give them anything, so they decided for his own safety, they were going to take him to the McAllister prison. The small town of Utica came alive with anger as the news broke of the possible double murder that happened in their very little town. The small jail was not enough to hold back what might happen to Andrew if they didn't quickly move him. It was this that probably scared Andrew into opening up just a little bit to the guard. On the drive to the prison, Andrew denied killing Illa's husband. But he did say that he had a hand in Will's death. He gave Illa $50 to hire someone who could do the deed. After dropping Andrew off in prison, officers again questioned Illa about Andrew's accusation. Illa denied it all, but she too began talking less and less to the police. She was quickly figuring out that she was also in a lot of trouble, and because she had confessed in having a hand in her husband's murder, she too could be charged with that murder. So one of the things the police knew they had to do was they had to figure out what Illa had been telling them was truthful or not. The easiest thing they could do was go and exhume the body of Andrew's wife. As it was reported in the Miami Daily News record on November 30th, 1929, Sheriff Rule Taylor and County Attorney George Deck and an undertaker went to Wolf Creek Cemetery near Utica and disinterred Miss Estep's body, removing the viscera and dispatching it to Oklahoma City for examination. They then reburied her body. That had to be no easy task at all, digging down to that body and then removing the viscera. Miss Estep had been dead for over a month. You can only imagine what kind of condition she was in at the time. The viscera, if you don't know, is your internal organs. Now, while all of this is going on, the police have relaxed some on Ila. They're giving her some freedoms within the jail. Uh, she is described as a subdued little farm woman by the local papers. They began let her have the use of the reception room during the day where she can sit, listen to music on the phonograph, or read. I can't help but wonder if some of the jailers had either taken pity on her or if they were just being really nice to her to let her guard down. Either way, it was working. When detectives came to talk to her, she began to open up more and more like she had done before. Five days after the police removed Miss Eastep's viscera and transported it to Oklahoma City, they received some of the results they had been waiting for. They had indeed found some poison in her remains. And they think that there's actually multiple types of poison present. The sheriff and county attorney brought this information to Andrew, who was still in prison. The news that they had found the poison seemed to shock him. He was then ready to talk, but he was quoted to saying, I won't plead guilty to murdering my wife or Will Hughes. I will plead guilty to something else. When they asked what that something else was, he wouldn't say. Andrew stated to officials that he would testify against Illa and tell what part she had in the killing of her husband. Now it was evident that the two sides of Illa and Andrew had begun to turn on one another. The police set out to see if anything that Ila had said in her statement was true and so far they were able to find some truth in her statements. She had confessed and Andrew seemed to be backed into a corner. So the sheriff took the kitty gloves off and charged them both with first-degree murder in the death of Will Hughes. This must have been a shock to Ella, who was cooperating with the police to some extent and being given these liberties inside the jail. She probably thought she would receive a lesser charge for her cooperation, but that did not happen. At this time, the police had waited on charging Andrew with the murder of his wife. They were waiting on more evidence to come to light and an official report to come out by the police chemist. By December 6, just 10 days after Will was murdered, the Oklahoma City police chemist was able to find large amounts of a deadly poison in Miss Estep's remains. One of Andrew's children came forward and told the police that she suspected something was not right about her mother's death. Her father had given her some kind of medicine to get over an illness, and she only got worse. Then he gave her another medicine, and she died shortly after. With this in mind, the police searched Andrew's home and found a 12-ounce package of poison, half of which was gone. Now, armed with this evidence and the official report by the Oklahoma City Police Chemist, The sheriff charged Andrew with the murder of his wife, along with the murder of Will. They chose not to charge Illa in this, because in her statement, she said that it was mentioned to her that the killing would happen, but she didn't know any of the details or when it would happen, so proving her involvement might be pretty hard. According to the Oklahoma City chemist, there was enough poison in Andrew's wife's body to kill a dozen people. Now, the trial was set, and both Ila and Andrew were both denied bail. During the preliminary hearing, they set up the case and showed why they believed Andrew and Ila conspired to kill their spouses, and the evidence that sported their theory. Andrew pled not guilty, and surprisingly, so did Illa. Illa's attorney asked for separate trials, and that was granted. They needed separate trials because their defense would be against one another. Besides just coming clean, this was the only hope that either of them would have to avoid a prison sentence. Andrew's trial was one mixed with real evidence and accusations from Illa Hughes. The prosecution brought forward the evidence of the poison used to kill his wife. The statements made by his daughter... That she saw him administer the poison And that they found bloody clothing In Andrew's home The shoes that he wore matched prints Found near and at the scene The star of the prosecution was Illa herself She testified to the statement that she gave To the police and answered questions about it This is where we would get a glimpse of her defense as well. She claimed that she was threatened by Andrew when she refused to participate in the slaying of her husband. When it was Andrew's turn, he testified that he was at home with his children when Will Hughes was murdered. And they brought forward several of his children who stated the same. But the case went to the jury. The prosecution was asking for the death penalty. It didn't take the jury long. They returned to the court with a guilty verdict, and they fixed life imprisonment as the sentence. At Illa's trial, she suggested she didn't know of the plan to kill their spouses until Andrew already murdered his own wife. He then threatened her life if she did not participate. She stated on the stand that Andrew would tell her things during the affair like, I wish you were my wife. There's nothing to do but get rid of your husband. But she didn't realize that he was actually planning on doing so until the night of the murder. She stated that after the killing, she immediately regretted her actions. And that is why she came forward to the police. The jury wasn't kind to Illa. Within 30 minutes, they returned a verdict of guilty. And they also gave her life in prison. Illa appealed her verdict, but lost her appeal. Now, that's not all that happened now for Illa, she would see life outside of prison. In 1946, the governor of Oklahoma, Robert S. Kerr, issued a pardon to Illa for her involvement in the murder of her husband. I could not find any real reasoning behind this, but I think it's something that Mr. Kerr probably felt strongly about. Kerr was once an appointee of Governor Maryland's unofficial pardon and parole board so he had a lot of experience in this area so i kind of wonder if he was using a lot of that experience he had in the past and maybe applied it to this as well so maybe he saw that Ella's actions in the case she may have led her husband to death but maybe she didn't deserve a life imprisonment for those actions I do find it odd that they didn't just parole her, they pardoned her. So, after she was released from prison, Illa has really disappeared off of uh, the public record radar. Uh, I believe that she got married a few years later. Uh, that would be interesting, but that was something that never really made the news. Anyways, I hope you all enjoyed this show. Uh, this was actually a pretty interesting story that I just kind of stumbled upon, and the more and more I looked into it, the more interesting it really got. So, I, I felt like, yes, this was, this was definitely worth an episode. If you'd like to let me know how you feel about the episode, or if you'd like to just discuss the episode, uh, go to facebook.com forward slash Investigations. there, uh, you can find me, and yeah, uh, bring up, uh, what episode you want to talk about, and I'm totally game. This weekend, as a little sneak peek, we are moving forward with the Oklahoma Death Row stories, so definitely make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way, when we do have new episodes come out, you will be the first to know. I'll see you guys this Sunday, and I hope you guys continue to have a awesome week. See ya. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.